Welcome to the five things this week in social. We're the Webby award-winning podcast that finds the top stories in social and narrows it down to just five so that you can sound smart when talking to your boss. If you're a marketer, an advertiser, a creator, or an influencer, keep listening. If you're not, well, that's cool. Just stick around. Today on the pod, we have our friends Kendall Pennington and Esty Wasner. Hello, Kendall. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Question for you. What is peak relaxation for you? For me, it's reading a book. And if I'm reading a book that's fiction on a beach, that to me is like, I'm on vacation. What is it for you? I think a big part of relaxation for me is like the knowing I don't have plans for like X amount of time. So it's like, it's like settling down with like a glass of wine and scrolling Twitter, knowing that I have nowhere to be for like the next two days. Like I think I need to be better, especially in New York, about like reserving that time. But I think it's a lot for me about like, I need extended knowledge of, of that not happening. Yes, that's very, very important. All right. And hello, Esty. Same question for you, my friend. Hello, excited to be here. Let's see. I think it's a little bit of a red flag that I can't imagine relaxation time present moment. But I would say anytime I'm traveling and exploring, being somewhere new for me is just the greatest feeling. And it might not sound like something relaxing, but I think that's where I'm just so happy and myself just exploring a new place. I mean, the wine in hand helps too, but that is my ideal relaxation time away traveling. Travel and wine, I mean, is there a better combo? I'm Joey Scarillo, and I am so excited to get into today's topics. Okay, here are the five things. First up, Kendall tells us about TikTok CEO speaking to a TED audience in his first interview since testifying to Congress. Then Esty updates us on Snapchat's new My AI feature that was awarded by a spike in one-star reviews. Then Kendall gives us the rundown of the up-and-coming social platforms attempting to capitalize amid ongoing Twitter controversies. Then Esty gets real about Be Real and asks the question, has the novelty began to fade? And finally, Kendall asks the question, what is sludge content? Is it escapism or overstimulation? Either way, it's TikTok's newest takeover. All right, friends, let's dive right in. Kendall, get us started with TikTok CEO speaking to a TED audience. Yeah, so super interesting. It's like the latest reveal in this like legal TikTok saga. It's kind of interesting thinking about this is kind of like a legal issue or a censorship issue. It's it's almost for me, it's like the more this kind of conversation goes on, I don't know if it becomes like less interesting or if it just makes it feel like it's actually less likely to happen, like it getting banned or anything like that. But this conversation particularly was interesting because it took place in Canada, but it was kind of focused on American censorship and TikTok CEO was questioned about potential like election interference, which feels like it's become kind of a natural conversation on all social platforms. I think what's interesting with these kind of conversations, which is what the CEO said basically to Congress and also in this talk, they don't deny that like your data is being like scraped to hell and that they are kind of watching, but it's a matter of so is everything else, right? So it's like, TikTok, he basically said he was going to keep that as close to zero as possible. Like they have third party organizations. He claims to have access to everything to make sure that kind of thing is not going to happen. But I do just think it's interesting to see like where this conversation continues to go because it does seem to be more of a matter of it's not that we care that we're being tracked or the data kind of thing, but it's more a matter of like we care who's doing it. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. 
It will be. This was a, quite a fascinating talk. And so after we've seen how, you know, other platforms have influenced things like elections, like Facebook and Twitter, it, it will be interesting to see what TikTok's role is in this upcoming election. Esty, what do you think was the biggest surprise coming out of the conversation? Well, I think in general, the CEO, Shu, he's a real personality. I think even his presence, you know, he created his own TikTok and he skyrocketed in followers. It was very interesting. And I think, you know, when I look at brand and trust, the trust that people have in him and the difference, you know, they're always comparing him to Zuckerberg and like he has a lot of fans now and he really skyrocketed, I think, in popularity. And I think like you're saying, Kendall, you know, about the trust thing, people know that they're being watched. I don't think anyone who uses TikTok is unaware that their data might be uh, flying around, but they don't care because they're having such a good time. And especially now knowing, getting to know the CEO a little more in a public facing way, it feels like people are starting to trust him. He's he's saying, you know, he'll give you a little bit of that truth. Yes, this and that is happening. But then he's, you know, really talking about their concerns and kind of being this friendly persona that they can trust. So whether or not I believe in what's going on behind the scenes. That's a different discussion. But I do think when it comes to brands and him doing more of these, you know, consumer facing, user facing interviews, I think it's a really smart move. Well, we shall see. I thought it was really interesting that he said that the goal of TikTok is not to maximize time spent on the app. But I don't know if that exactly aligns with my experience. But he also didn't, as far as I remember, say what the main goal is. So very interesting to see where this one goes. All right, on to our second thing. And this one is actually really interesting because I've had some personal experience with it. But Esty, I want to hear more about Snapchat's new My AI feature and why it keeps getting these one-star reviews. Yes. So it's interesting that you say that you had a personal experience from this because I actually originally heard about it from a friend and coworker of ours who sent a few screenshots of this new feature from Snapchat and she was kind of freaked out by it. So (laughs) she wasn't the only one. The reviews are in for Snapchat's new My AI feature, which they recently rolled out to global users. It was for subscriber only. It's obviously powered by the now ubiquitous OpenAI GPT technology. But those reviews are in and they They are not very good. So yes, there was a serious spike in negative reviews. Think like 75% of reviews being one star, which is compared to 35% in Q1. So people are really voicing their concern. You can also see a lot of commentary on social media, mostly because, you know, my AI is this basically creepy little Frankenstein head that appeared out of nowhere. It's this green, or I think you can change the colors, but this little chat with no warning, users did not really provide consent. And it kind of just popped up pinned to the top of users chat feed inside the app. It can't be unpinned or blocked or removed the way that a normal friend conversation can be. Just sits at the top of people's sacred place. That's basically where they're chatting with their friends and they're sending snaps. It's not really where they're in the mode to experiment with new features. So it just seems like a moment in time for us to take a beat and for us to discuss why companies are implementing AI and if they're even discussing if they should as opposed to how they should. Kind of this bandwagon that everyone just jumped on. But really, you know, even though it might seem like a smart move in that rush, they're kind of losing sight of what users really want. You know, the intimacy and privacy that Snapchat offers, people are having those intimate kind of 
friendships, conversations. It's where they have all their friend chat stored. And they didn't ask for this, right? It was just a sudden thing that popped up. They weren't solving an existing problem or really asking themselves how this extends the brand's mission for people to just express themselves and have fun together. And they also put a serious spotlight on how people's data are being used. So we were just talking about that. But You know, by them basically giving this chatbot that can give you, for example, information on where you're where you're based, right, where you are. If you ask them something, it's based on personal data collection and users weren't aware that Snapchat had that kind of access because if they thought, oh, you know, with their maps feature, it wasn't turned on. There was a lot of weird conversations going on with the chatbot where basically my AI would give you information about where you are. And then the user would be like freaked out and say, I don't have my location turned on in maps. And then the chatbot would basically backtrack and be like, oh, I guess I don't. <laughs> and it was super weird. Uh, so a lot of just, yeah, not really solving an existing problem and also creeping people out by how much personal data they actually have access to. Well, I did not play around with any of the personal data, but I told this story recently. Last week, I was on the Beancast with Bob Nort podcast. And I told this story about my first interaction with the My AI. I had just finished Mandalorian. I'm a big Star Wars nerd. Big surprise. Love it. And so I asked my AI, how many seasons of The Mandalorian are there? And we just finished season three. And it definitively told me two seasons. So then I asked, how many episodes are there? And it said 16, when in fact there are 24. And so then I asked it, can you admit when you're wrong? And it really didn't like that question. It gave me some like backwards answer like, well, if I was, then, I, you know, it was really weird. But I'm just curious, Kendall, have you played around with the My AI yet on Snapchat? I have. Yeah, I have. And I think the first time I saw it was in screenshots on Twitter. I think there's always conversations about like if these sort of chat I things have like political motives or like what's programmed in that way. And I saw a lot of people kind of going that route with it, like asking it political opinions or like hot button social issues and it kind of having like, different takes for various things. So I like tested it out a little bit in that way and did find there to be some bias in certain things, which was kind of interesting to see. And I think that's kind of what, like SD was saying, I don't think, I believe in like the inevitability of these kind of things. Like this is going to, I don't think it's a bad idea for companies to be involved with these spaces and figuring it out. But I think the way you go about it is so interesting. I think it felt like almost when Apple Music put like the U2 album on everyone's phone and you like, it feels invasive in a way that I don't think it needs to be. Whether If you could opt into this feature, you could move it down on the list. If you could whatever, I don't think it would feel so like black mirified. I think the big brother sense, which is like what people love to talk about with this kind of thing, I think it's completely like based on like the rollout of the feature. And I think that could have been done more tactfully. Yeah, it's also this weird purple icon that just kind of, it does feel like a Frankenstein. Right, so it just strange. looks creepy. I would also add to that because that's a great point about, you know, how they're approaching it and maybe you know, the interface, because all maybe there was a better way, right, let's say to do it. But what I find constantly disappointing and fascinating is that these companies, when they do mess up, nobody fesses up. It's like if they were just a little bit more honest and direct and transparent, I think they could do better. You know, even if they rolled this out and they were excited about it, you know, obviously they did test it with um, some of their subscribers before this. They claimed, let's say there were two million chats that happened. So they were testing this and they maybe thought it would go well. But if you are literally seeing the nosedive in reviews, you're seeing so much chatter. They have an opportunity to show up and to respond accordingly. They could have, you know, changed the rollout. They could have said, all right, you know, we'll let you unpin. We'll let you. There was one snap spokesperson who basically was like, don't use it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that is so passive aggressive. So, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it was an official spokesperson, but it was someone who worked there. And yeah, it's just so I think they have a missed opportunity. Companies who are constantly pivoting might mess up. But I think how you respond is critical to how people will view you in the future. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, on this show, I mean, we we usually applaud Snap. And so this feels like a rare misstep for Snap and Snapchat. So, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll definitely keep an eye on this. We'll keep playing with it or we won't play with it and we'll just let it maybe just fade away. But I do think that this is a big move from Snap and keep pushing the bar. All right, let's move on to our third thing. Kendall, tell us about the up and coming social platforms as they are trying to capitalize on all this turmoil going on over at Twitter. Who are some of the big contenders? In the last couple of months, amidst just like the chaos and the constant shifting of everything and people keep like claiming they're leaving, I do think a lot of people keep returning to Twitter because I guess the point of my conversation here is just such a hard space to enter into. We've seen things like Mastodon. Most recently, we saw Blue Sky, which is interesting. It's backed by Jack Dorsey and it looks really, really extremely similar to like the Twitter interface and is backed by like people in that space. As of right now, it's like in beta and it's invite only. I think it's only less than 20,000 people I think are currently on it. But I have seen like screenshots and it looks basically claiming to be like the exactly Twitter, just decentralized. So I think the point of these kind of things and thinking about how it relates to like how brands should go about thinking about new platforms, kind of like what we were talking about, like what Esky said, brands that are like really eager to pivot and jump on things immediately. I don't think that's the smartest way to go about these things because I was looking the other day and they, it was like looking at apps that emerged in like the 2008 kind of recession era. And it's crazy how little actual change there has been in terms of like major movement in the space. Like 2008 was when like Uber, Airbnb, like that's when all of that kind of stuff really launched. And there's been basically zero like new entry into the space. With Twitter, it's hard. It's like power users are super, super loyal. I'm like kind of a Twitter freak person. So I, I know that I would find it hard to leave even when things are like really dumb and insane. And one of the moves of the past like week that I think really um, brought like Blue Sky further into the conversation is the, the verification situation has continued to be a mess. And Elon just keeps kind of going back and forth on the way he goes about it. So it's like initially people were upset because he was claiming that paying for verification and the $8 for Twitter Blue was going to like affect the way you're prioritizing the algorithm now. That wasn't something that was like originally stated. He was like, you're only going to be on the For You page and I'm saying you're going to get a boost if you pay for this. And people were concerned about like what that would mean for the quality of content and of their feeds and and what that would mean for that sort of thing. And then a bunch of celebrity people, when all of the check marks got removed this past week for people that weren't paying, said they weren't going to pay. People like LeBron James, major users with some of the largest followers on the app, said they weren't going to pay it. And then all of a sudden, like within the next two days, a bunch of them had checks all of a sudden. And Elon announced that he would personally foot the bill for a lot of these people have checks. So it's kind of, it's creating like a really weird situation. And it's it's kind of feeling like a flop and just constant like overcorrections. And then it looks kind of messy. So it's really interesting to continue to see where Twitter goes. I'm honestly still rooting for it, even amongst the mess. I know a lot of people are like, it feels like are actively rooting for the downfall, just given the situation. But it, it will be interesting to see if any of these new platforms like actually stick, right? I think there's a lot of ground to cover and it's just going to be hard. And I think it's cool too, even like other text-based platforms that weren't in the social space. So like I know Substack, which apps and websites that focus on like longer form text have been like leaning into the space. So I think everyone is just seeing a potential opportunity here, right? To capitalize on this mess and see if you can do anything with it. Your, your rooting for Twitter feels like rooting for a sports team, but not liking the owner. It's yeah, like love of the game. I, that's what I say. Like I tweet for the love of the game and the owner should do some adjusting. But You mentioned the 20,000 users on Blue Sky and I've been sort of bearing the lead or keeping this a secret, but I'm actually one of them. Ooh. I have played around that's with... That's a flex. 
Yeah, I know, right? So I am on Blue Sky. I got invited. And it's actually, it's very interesting when you when you think about how it compares to Twitter, because a lot of the conversation is how do we make this better than Twitter? And it really does have a very positive vibe. I mean, like you said, it's still in beta, but I have to just sort of say this real quick. I There was a post from a developer who said, for people asking what posts are called here, here's the official and definitive answer. We don't know. May the best idea win. And so I just said, what about posts? So I think they're trying to not be like Twitter, but also kind of be like Twitter. But I don't know. For now, it's a very positive vibe. So Esty, I'm just curious from your point of view and you know what you might encourage clients who want to get onto some of these platforms or even what you think some of these platforms can do to be different. So I think one of the important things from like client side is to trust your partners. And of course, I would say that because I work at one of them. (laughs) But I think it's part of our jobs. Like, I mean, that's why we enjoy talking on this podcast. It's just being in the know, the fact that you're in a beta mode, you know, version of something. It's like, we are not afraid to get our hands dirty and play with these things, get in the sandbox, play with it. And I think that's important because everything's moving at the speed of light now. You have to go in and just try things. So I think a key there is to be bullish, not be afraid and just go for it. But also, of course, you know, mitigate risk. You definitely want to be careful and protect your brand. I think even with Twitter, you know, we closely monitor it because it is a hot mess. (laughs) And every week there's something else, something else is going on there. But, you know, we're cautiously optimistic, I would say, about the future of where all this social media is going. So, yeah, stay close to partners and be bullish, but be careful. That is my advice. Yeah, no, that is that is that's a really good advice. All right. So speaking of new-ish platforms, I want to talk about Be Real because Be Real has been quite a darling of this show in its early days. Esty, so you got to tell us, has the novelty worn off with Be Real? I mean, I don't even know if I need to tell you because when have you last heard about it? (laughs) So I would say yes, the novelty seems to have worn off. You do rarely hear it mentioned in culture anymore. Obviously, it was a media darling and phenomenon even last summer. You know, it only started in 2020. And a quick reminder for those of you unfamiliar with the app, Be Real came on the scene with this super creative approach, right? It was a two-minute time window for users to post where they're at. You would get this push notification that just came randomly. So very cool, performative social experience, you know, inviting people to post a little bit more in the moment, on the fly, without any of that glamour that some of the other apps require. But yeah, it actually was already reported by the New York Times that the number of people who use the app daily dropped to 61% from its peak. So they were saying it went from 15 million in October of 2022 to less than 6 million in March. And the company denied it. They did say that they had quite a few more million. But either way you look at it, you don't hear about them anymore as much as, definitely not as much as we did, especially whether it's mentions on shows or, you know, TikTok, there was a lot of chatter about it. So it seems that one of the main reasons for this is that there's been a few failed user-facing feature releases over the past few months. So for example, there was supposed to be a private archive of your past posts and also the ability to add whatever song you were playing to your posts. But I think what it really comes down to is their inability to extend that core excitement of posting that one silly post a day. That was the novelty. And I think when we talk about being creative in the social 
social media platform space, this is a huge opportunity, larger probably than anyone's had over the last few years, not just because of the Twitter thing, but you can see here, Be Real had something I think really positive to learn from where they did something completely different, right? They went against the tide. They said, let's give people an opportunity to be more real, more raw in the moment and not take themselves too seriously. But now when they're trying to extend the features and that's that's the problem, right? Because everything moves so fast now that you have to get those extensions out fast. You have to be on your game, figuring out how to extend your mission. For example, they did a test where if you already hosted your B-Reel, you'd have the ability to post two bonus B-Reels for the rest of the day. But what that really feels like is an extra version of Instagram, maybe a little bit, you know, you're, you're tied to only doing two posts, but that didn't feel like it captured the excitement of what they're really about, which is just doing something on the fly, having a specific window where everyone is doing it and joining in that motion of just being together and wherever you are. So it is, it seems that they've had quite a few struggles. They also have some technical issues. You know, obviously they're doing something where everyone's expected to use the app at the exact same time, which is maybe a technological situation that other apps don't really have to deal with. But you know, I think I think they are a little bit struggling to get those extensions out fast enough and get those features or products that people are really craving in the way that they wanted that very first be real kind of post. So definitely an opportunity, like we're saying, for other apps to come in and kind of find something novel and creative and maybe still an opportunity for be real to kind of figure out what that is. But very fast. Yeah, Be Real is so interesting. And you, you talked about like capturing a moment. And it reminds me that like you can almost predict now when your Be Real is going to hit. Like I remember New Year's Eve right at midnight, 10 p.m. on Sunday night for the succession premiere. It almost feels like they are trying to capture these moments and bring everybody together. Kendall, I'm curious, does this feel like the natural evolution of where Be Real is going? Or do you think they need to continue or will continue to push the bar? Yeah, so I do think this is like a natural evolution. I'm not going to lie. I was never that into Be Real from the beginning. I think consumer like apps that are like pretty single feature, like that's such an uphill battle and you should probably like sell off to Meta as soon as you're like on the up. I have some friends in like venture capital in San Francisco. And I know when they talk about like tech founders and like the social space, they, they kind of consider it like a like a death march. It's like, it's just such a hard space to break into. When you think about things are pretty saturated at this point, not in terms of number of platforms, right? Like there's basically like four or five we all use, but the breadth of those platforms is so big. Like Snapchat basically added a Be Real type feature with a double-sided camera. Like I guess he was saying, if you don't have like some sort of vote, you're not able to evolve at like the speed of light and build out something completely different. I just, I don't see any way you can really keep up up in the current space. The attention span of people is just not where it would need to be for that to happen. And yeah, I just, I think B-Roll was entirely about novelty. It was a really cool idea for a hot second. I think it uh, created other social sites to raise these questions about like authenticity and, and think about some things like that. But yeah, I think I kind of felt this was heading this way. Yeah. And I think you just said it, but you know, with Snap doing that feature, I think all these apps just copy each other. That's why there's this lack of creativity. It's almost like this race of like who can just kind of latch on to whatever is successful and just iterate on it. And I also have an unorthodox opinion <laughs> that, that that some of these apps and all of these features are not necessarily really truly helping people and giving people what they want and need by by way of connection or entertainment or education. I think there's like this you know, push for technology and everyone's kind of 
trying to get to the next thing, but they lose sight of what they're really doing for the user. And like you, I'm saying, I, I use Be Real for a hot minute. I got off it. I wasn't that excited because I guess I was too busy living in the moment. And I don't know that that's a problem. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting space for people to get a little bit more creative, but maybe we don't even need that many apps. Maybe we don't. And maybe, I hate to say it, friends, maybe we're putting Be Real in the Clubhouse Club. <laughs> Yikes. Might be. All right, friends, let's dive into our last thing. I'm so excited to talk about this one because I know nothing about it. Kendall, I need to know about sludge content. What is it? What does it mean? Should I overthink it? Should I underthink it? What should I do? Absolutely. So I'm not going to come at this with any sort of like ethical thoughts about it. I think it is completely fascinating. So I'm going to speak kind of anecdotally first. So over the past, probably over the last couple months, maybe it was like two or three months ago, I started noticing like a pretty high percentage of my For You feed on TikTok was these sort of split screen type videos. And it's completely unrelated content. So from what I understand, this started out as a way for people that post like episodes of like copyrighted things to get around that. So it doesn't flag things in the system when you post a clip of South Park or Family Guy or copyrighted music when you put other things around it. It, it just, it lowers the chance of that being flagged and being taken out. A lot of these kind of started as accounts that would be like only posting Family Guy episodes in full. And so the episode would be playing at the top. And then at the bottom, a lot of it is what I like to call like visual ASMR. So it's those things that like scratch your brain and are like easy and mindless to watch, but they do captivate you. It's cutting soap. It's people playing with the slime. It's like weird shape things happening. So that is going on basically at the same time as something else that would be like considered a more like real piece of content. I was reading something the other day and it was kind of raising the question about like, where does our attention span go from here? It's been like a race to the bottom and it feels like it really can't get much lower than this when people are at the point that they to like stay tuned into a video you now need to see like literally something else happening at the exact same time it's kind of weird it's like i know i personally can speak 10 years ago it was really easy for me to get through like a two-hour movie and then it got a little less easy and you i tend to go more towards like 30 minute tv shows and then all of a sudden like those 10 minute youtube videos start feeling a little long and now it's like a tiktok that's like longer than 30 seconds or that doesn't include literally another thing happening while something else is happening feels like it's hard for me to like sit through. So it's kind of just raising these questions as to like, is this just escapism? People enjoy it's completely a mindless relief or is it kind of have some larger implications? And I think it's funny too, to think about it from like a brand perspective or a client perspective in advertising. It's like, hypothetically, if this is content that's like organic and that people want to be seeing and if they're finding it hard to watch, it's like how much harder is it? And how do you need to be thinking about like ad creative and things like that to keep people's attention for more than two seconds? But it's a really interesting conversation. It's just, I don't know. It's not a little dystopian to me to watch. Like you're literally watching a lady decorate a cake while like a game is playing, while like a Reddit thread's being read. It's just, it's kind of bizarre. A few months ago on this show, we talked about core core. And I love, I love calling back to old episodes. How is this different than core core? So it's kind of weird. I feel like it's just like the exact antithesis of that. Core core was like the self-awareness of this kind of thing happening. And this is like it happening earnestly. <laughs> and it's like a very tactical thing that has now happened. Like core core felt like a predecessor that has made will this into reality, in my opinion. Hmm. Esty, what's your take on this kind of content? Do you find it calming or is it sensory overload? I hate this trend. <laughs> <laughs> You just I, got close to the it. mic. You just got close to the mic almost in an ASMR y kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> that was unintentional. All the implications that you were talking about, Kendall, I think they're very real. I'm very grateful that my algorithm knows I'm old and that if it serves me too many of these, I will probably have a seizure. Honestly, it just TikTok as it is 
is terrifying to me because of how fast and furious we expect our attention to fly from short clip to short clip to short clip. We are feeding our brains this super fast, super pixelated. It's just we're looking at our phones and two hours later, we're realizing, crap, I have to wake up for work in four hours. Not a good thing. And I don't know. I just... I think it's concerning because a lot of young people are the ones who are part of this trend and they're the ones absorbing the content and something about it feels very off-putting to me. So I don't know that there's any solutions or... I mean, I could talk to today from today to tomorrow about like this idea of disconnecting to connect, which I talk about a lot, and finding a happy balance between using technology and really still exercising the ability to let go. I don't know. This one in particular was giving me seizure core. All right. Seizure core. Coin it. All right, friends, if you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, like us, review us, write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to discuss. And you can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. And if you want to learn more about gray, go to gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel, Kendall and Esty. And as always, thanks to Samantha Geller and Amanda Fuentes and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. On the most recent episode of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, we welcomed Neil Tanna, the founder of How About, a social app for connecting and making plans with your friends. Neil talks about the struggles he faced in becoming an entrepreneur. And Neil notes that while most social apps were founded in the U.S., except for Be Real, founded in France, he is excited to have created an app in the UK. Check out Neil's story or any of our past episodes of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, anywhere you find this podcast. That's it for us. Thank you, listener. And please, as always, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.